Hello, and welcome to our podcast, Super Respectable. I'm David Lewis, uh, based in the Netherlands, and with me is Tosh in Istanbul. Hey, Tosh. How are you, Dave? I'm doing all right. It's a pretty uh, blustery, miserable day here, um, but uh, just getting all packed and ready to go on ho holiday tomorrow. So looking forward to that. How are that you? That's right. That is right. I'm, I'm doing well. Uh, um, I wish I was going on holiday too, but, uh, but uh, you must be super excited. Huh? It's the first holiday in what, the whole year, all of 2020? Um, yeah, I mean, I had some mini trips to the UK and Switzerland, uh, but this is like a proper two week thing. Yeah. Um, which is really exciting because it's warm weather in Italy, but also very stressing because of all the coronavirus stuff that we talked about in the last episode with Dr. Marcus. Dr. Marcus. Are you going to take some of his, uh, his tips and uh, advice to heart? Are you going to try to implement them on your trip? Um, well, the thing is, I really like sitting in, on the aisle seat <laughs> yeah, on planes. So I know he said one of his big tips was to sit by the window because there's less chance of all the people passing by spreading stuff. But I think my enjoyment of the aisle seat and claustrophobia would um, uh, outweigh the coronavirus fears on this occasion. Yeah. So, sure. And what's like, uh, without going into detail, because we don't want all our millions of listeners to talk yeah. you on your trip. What's the, what's the itinerary? What's the schedule when you're in Italy? What are you going to do? Where are you going to go? Yeah. So um, flying into Rome, nice. spending uh, a couple days there. And then we have a pretty long train journey from Rome to Venice. Um, and then changing in Venice and then heading into the mountains into the Dolomites to spend uh, a week in the, in the mountains in a very small village in, uh, in the Dolomites, which is very picturesque and very beautiful. Uh, so okay. we'll do, do a few days of hiking there and then head back down to Venice and spend a week, maybe more on the Lido or Lido. I don't know how to pronounce it correctly, but it's basically like the beach area of Venice, which is really nice. And, um, it's where they have the Venice Film Festival and where George Clooney hangs out. So it's pretty cool. Oh, if you see George, ask him if he wants to be on our podcast, you know? Yeah, I'll, I'll give it a shot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Well, so, I mean, I came back from holiday a month ago and it was honestly the best mental break from everything. So I hope it's as beneficial for you guys as it was for us. But be safe, Dave, because, you know, we are still living in what is the apocalypse of the world? <laughs> so like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Italy uh, has gone through a pretty tough time uh, as the, our listeners know, and the rest of the world uh, observed um, in March and April, it was pretty horrific what was going on there. So I think um, the population is pretty aware of the need to wear masks and, and uh, distancing. I, I know uh, it's not really culturally an Italian thing to, uh, keep distance because they're they like to hold each other and be close and do the kissing thing when they greet each other so it'll be interesting to see um, if that's changed much uh, since the pandemic yeah um, for sure yeah. I mean like take pictures and uh, and if there's any interesting stories you come across that that follow in the theme of this podcast take notes because we'd love to get a brief from you when you're back Absolutely. Maybe I could do a reportage live on live. the scene. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look at that. Super respectable. Nice. Going global. Super respectable. <laughs> For sure. I think so. Uh, oh, yeah. Go on. Sorry. No, no. Uh, go ahead. I'd like to hear your I was your just going to say, um, um, wasn't last week amazing with, uh, with Marcus? I mean, he did such an amazing job. I, uh, I, I don't know about you, but I learned so much more. Uh, than I'd known about COVID and coronavirus. And then we posted it online. And also because of the help of Marcus's networks, we got a lot of uh, um, listening, a lot of listeners and uh, a lot mm. of positive feedback. But it was a really good episode. So Marcus, if you're listening, thank you again for being on. And we would love to have you back at any time. Uh, um, thank you again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I echo Tosha's comments. Uh, it was really awesome having you on the show, Marcus. And uh, yeah, the time just flew by. I mean, it was, I think it was over an hour long episode, but uh, lost track of time because it was just really uh, in interesting and engaging conversation. 
Yeah, um, and uh, also uh, possibly a subject of another uh, super respectable episode is the fact that uh, Marcus is the reason for the name uh, super respectable on yeah. this podcast. So, so that's, that's a, that's maybe a we can get into that another time. For sure. So <laughs> we, uh, we, we, uh, yeah, we'll get into that. It's an, it's an interesting story, but uh, thank you, Marcus, for that as well. That, that's two thank yous from Dave and me. Uh, we really appreciate it. And then also, I just wanted to uh, let people know that uh, thanks to David Lewis, we are on social media as of this week. So uh, we'll link up our, our Facebook and our Instagram and our YouTube and our Twitter page and our own URL. We got, we got simplerespectable.com, which was amazing. So uh, we, are, we are accessible by all means now on the World Wide Web. Yeah, please. Uh, I'll post some links onto the different um, platforms. Please like, subscribe, do all the social medializing things that you're supposed to do to engage with our uh, wonderful content. Yeah. And just one more, uh, one more thank you before we kick things off. Okay. And that's to um, Kentaro Ide one more time because Kentaro. he came up with some more uh, music for our podcast and. Um, we're still uh, deliberating as to where it's, it fits best. Um, so look out for some different uh, music in, in the intro or outro or middle of uh, the podcast. Is, so that, is, is that Italian? Thanks again, is, Ken. Is that the Italian you've been learning? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. I just Hello. made that up on the spot. All right. It sounds so, about right. Yeah, I think so. I, uh, I think so. Um, all right. Should we get into it? It's, uh, it's my week to present. Yeah, and, um, it's your week. I'm excited. Okay, so I'm going to be presenting something from the country of my birth, which is Japan. Um, just as a clarification, I'm not Japanese. My name is Japanese, Toshio. And the reason for that is that my mom and dad moved there when they got married, and they lived there for about seven years, and I was born there, and uh, they gave me a Japanese name. And uh, uh, they also gave both my sisters Japanese names, even though they were born in Canada. So uh, it's just because of very a lot. Cool. Yes, it's very cool. It's kind of uh, an old story for me. I've been having to live with it for 30, 40 years. <laughs> but <laughs> it's not a burden. It's not a burden. It's, it's a not very a burden wonderful thing. But, uh, but yeah, so um, uh, my parents, uh, you know, very much love Japanese culture. Uh, I grew up there. I used to speak Japanese, Dave, but unfortunately, I don't speak it anymore. Uh, maybe it's still in there. Uh, uh, um, yeah, when we moved to Canada, uh, when I was two, uh, I had to learn English, and I, I think it took the place of Japanese. Though some people have said that it's still in there, you just need to open that door, you know, and you need to access it, and then uh, it'll come Yeah, out. it's like uh, riding a bicycle. It's always there <laughs> once you've learned it, and yeah, uh, yeah. just hop back on. So, uh, okay, so let's start in Japan, uh, the country of my birth, but not my, my, uh, the country of my nationality. Um, we're going to be talking about the Yakuza, Dave, in Japan. Um, Ooh. Yeah, the Yakuza. Do you know anything about the Yakuza before we start? So I don't want to be repeating things that you know. Any knowledge, any experience, any membership involvement? Uh, I will not disclose any possible memberships in any uh, associations or societies, um, mafia or otherwise. Yeah, that's true. But um, yes, I have, I have some knowledge of the Yakuza. Um, the main thing I know is it's the... Um, Japanese mafia. Yep. It's the also maybe it's just like a catch-all term. It's not like maybe one yakuza. There's a bunch of them, yeah. possibly. And the other interesting thing, a uh, little tidbit that I know is tattoos. They, yeah. they um, they're very well identified by the tattoos they wear. So when you go to the baths in Japan, they often say no tattoos allowed because Absolutely. they don't want yakuza people bathing there. I, that's I'll, the extent of my Yakuza knowledge. No, no, that's good. You got, uh, you got three for three there, so it's good. I'll, I'll touch on the ta uh, tattoos and some other interesting uh, um, practices they have. And uh, um, um, so the reason I'm talking about the Yakuza is that I've always had a fascination with the mafia, whether it's the Italian mob or the Chinese triads or the Japanese Yakuza. Something about it is very, uh, it's very interesting to me. Uh, I love watching mob movies. I love reading books about the mafia. I in no way support or endorse uh, violence <laughs> or, or what happens, but something about the way they operate and uh, they get, get things done and their history is really fascinating to me. And uh, every couple of years, something about the Yakuza pops up in my mind again. And this actually just came up a few months back 
And so I had written it down. And then when we started this podcast, I thought this would be a really interesting thing to present. So I will do so now. So awesome. as you mentioned, the Yakuza uh, is an international organized crime syndicate, which originated in Japan. Um, I'm going to butcher the Japanese because it is my first language, but I've forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they actually don't go, out, go by the name Yakuza um, by different parties. Uh, uh, the police and the media, they actually call them Boryu Kudan, which means violent group. Uh, and it's interesting, uh, the police actually have told the media to call them this and not the Yakuza. So the police and the media follow in the same terminology. But the Yakuza themselves call themselves Ninkyo Dantai, which means chivalrous organization. So they, have, they see themselves very different, uh, almost mm. opposite from what the police call themselves. Uh, the Yakuza, which is the title I think I'll use in this presentation, uh, they're known for their strict codes of conduct, which I'll go over. Uh, their organized nature in terms of how they operate and the very unique unconventional ritual practices, which, which we kind of touched upon. Historically, the Yakuza started um, in this 15th or 16th century. Um, Whoa. Yeah. Super so old. Super old, but they weren't the same Yakuza as we know today. There were two groups of people in, uh, in, in society, the Tekiya, who were pretty much uh, uh, individuals who stole, uh, who sold illegal goods, and the Bakuto, who were a group of people who, who were in gambling, in the, in the gambling world. And these two types of people kind of came together, and they were sort of the informal Yakuza. So they were sort of the misfits of society, the, the, uh, the ones who were socially unaccepted, discriminated, and kind of in their own world. So these two groups kind of came together and uh, they created sort of a group known as the Yakuza, which were not violent at all, or the mafia that we know today. So up, in the, up until World War II, they didn't really have a lot of power, but what ended up happening was after the war, Japan was devastated, right? So um, if you know your history, you know, major cities were in ruins, there was mass unemployment, starvation, the local police didn't have enough force or weren't uh, effective in their work. And because of this, the black market started in Japan and the Yakuza uh, uh, kind of found that opportunity to get in there and sell goods on the black market, really position themselves. A lot of um, veterans came back from the war and uh, didn't really have jobs. So the, the Yakuza would take them in because they knew how to fight, right? They, because of the war. So mm -hmm. they took them in. So they started kind of creating this group. And by the time Japan's economy started to come back in the 50s and 60s, the Yakuza was already well positioned uh, to be profitable from their illegal businesses, uh, as well as having a huge membership as well. So it was really kind of that post-war era, which was devastating for everyone else, which was actually beneficial for the Yakuza to grow and to develop. So, uh, um, so it's actually interesting, the way the Yakuza is structured is a traditional structure of a foster parent and foster child. So in Japanese culture, when, in, when a foster, an actual foster parent takes in a foster child, usually the father and the son share some sake. And this is a ritual that kind of indicates that the parent will take care of the child and the child, the parent. And so what, uh, how this is translated into the Yakuza is a lot of their membership are abandoned children. Uh, kids who have been kicked out of their homes, kids who are orphans, maybe kids who have run away from home, you know, the street thugs. And so mm -hmm. a lot of them are uh, uh, really have nowhere to go. So a lot of uh, the higher ups in the Yakuza have gone to this demographic and brought them in and, uh, and, and given them kind of a new life and a new chance. And because of this, they're seen as the foster parents and the new initiati initiatees, the kids are seen as the foster, foster children. So the family, as you know, it's a common term in mafia, in mafia lingo, the family, um, there's usually a head uh, of, of the Yakuza. And there's actually three, there's over 20 different groups of Yakuza, which I'll get into, but usually each, each group has a head. And then, uh, and then they have uh, a group of people underneath them, and then a, another group of people, and they all kind of control different areas, just like a business, you know, you have your CEO, your chairman, mm -hmm. and then your your CFO, and then, you know, your managers and your assistant managers, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but something that's really interesting is that when, uh, when people join the Yakuza, uh, if they come from, you know, they have to cut ties with their old family and transfer their loyalty to the gang boss. So, uh, so, you know, like I said, a lot of these kids, 
uh, don't come from, like don't have families. So for them, it's not really an issue. But for some of the individuals who actually join coming from a family, the Yakuza requires you to cut ties with your old family. So I don't know if this is a literal thing or it's more of a metaphorical thing, but uh, regardless, your loyalty is no longer to your family. It's to your boss and to your, your, your foster father and, and, and to, the, to the group. So um, um, even in the Yakuza itself, the terminology they use in Japanese is, is are fathers and brothers. An interesting point, by the way, is that the Yakuza is mostly male dominated. Uh, uh, apparently, the majority of Yakuza members are males. Um, um, uh, there are some females, but it's rare. It's usually the wives of uh, of kind of uh, mafia, the the bosses, you know, the, the 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 heads up. And actually, in one historical situation. When one of the bosses, uh, I forgot the details. I read this though. When one of the bosses uh, got murdered in one of the families, his wife took over as head of the family for a while. So that's interesting. Mm. So uh, um, yeah. So okay, like I said, there's over 20 groups of of yakuza in Japan, but there's three major groups. The top three. The first one is called the Yamagachi Gumi. It's Japan's largest family. Uh, 30% of people who are in the yakuza are, are in this family. Uh, it's HQ, headquartered in Kobe, Japan, which is famous for uh, Kobe Bryant. No, that's a joke. I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> it's famous Kobe for beef. Kobe beef. There you go. Uh, uh, that, um, they actually did not, uh, for the longest time, expand into Tokyo, Japan's largest city, though recently they have started going into it, and that has caused an issue with another family. Um, they have a presence in Japan, in other parts of Asia, and America as well. Uh, the second group is the Sumiyoshikai, uh, and uh, they're actually really interesting. They function like a federation as opposed to uh, um, kind of a hierarchy system. So um, it's very different from its rival groups. And so the chain of command is more relaxed. Their leadership is distributed as opposed to having one person at the top. So uh, uh, um, I guess more <laughs> it's more uh, everyone's got a voice in that, in that family, which is that's also... Nice. Yeah, that's nice. Uh, uh, and then uh, the third group is the Inagawakai, uh, and uh, they're primarily based in Tokyo, uh, um, so they didn't expand to other parts of the country, uh, um, and they were actually one of the first syndicates to expand outside of Japan. So these are the top three, and then uh, there are, I read, uh, accounts of 21 other minor groups, but they're not as, um, what do you say, powerful or, or uh, influential as the top three. Mm. So. You must be asking, Dave, the next, qu next question must be, what are their activities, right? What do they do? Like, what, what are they up to? <laughs> what are they up to? So um, uh, while many of the Yakuza sources of income are from conventional mafia practices, such as drug trafficking, uh, uh, racketeering, uh, prostitution, uh, um, uh, uh, coercion, uh, one thing that's actually really interesting I found is um, corporate blackmail. So uh, they do this thing called Sokaya, which means um, they become shareholders of publicly traded companies in Japan by buying shares. And when you buy shares, you have a right to attend the annual shareholder meetings. And what they do is they come to these meetings and they threaten to reveal sensitive information about the company's practices or their employees or finances unless they get a bribe, unless they get paid off. So in other parts of the world, most publicly traded overseas companies are obliged to release annual reports, right, in Canada being one of them. Mm -hmm. In Japan, uh, based on Japanese law, uh, these companies actually don't uh, need to uh, issue any such reports. And so what's interesting about this is in Japan, public perception is very, very important. Uh, so whether you're actually doing something wrong or you're perceived to be doing something wrong, it's almost the same. And so because of this, the Yakuza have found uh, um, a way to uh, to to use that cultural practice for their benefit. So they, well, in a way, it's very noble. I mean, they're enforcing uh, corporate <laughs> governance standards that are recognized uh, around the world yeah. uh, in Japan. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so so in that respect, I would say you know, well done. Yeah. So it's it, it's like uh, it's our version of corporate social responsibility in Japan, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's really interesting. They they uh, they go. Can you imagine being in a shareholders meeting and having like a bunch of yakuza guys show up and then like you're just you'd be terrified, right? So it's clearly effective, right? In terms, it would of improve my transparency and accountability immeasurably. Yeah, of course. So they do that. Um, there's a bunch of legitimate businesses they invest in as well. Uh, department stores, uh, little mom and pop stores. Uh, um, they buy stock in major companies as well legally. 
uh, here's an interesting fact is that um, um, even though they do, do, they do sell drugs, their members are not allowed to use drugs. So uh, there's, a, there's a prohibition on drug usage inside the organization. That's very uh, smart as well. Very good. Um, theft, uh, actual stealing of stuff is not allowed. Uh, they want their activities to remain semi-open. And the reason theft uh, is not uh, allowed is because uh, um, such an act is considered to be trespassing of the community, which they want to be in good standing of. So they don't, they don't mm. steal. Um, um, so this number has not been verified, but on one report, as per the U.S. State Department and the Treasury, uh, the entire Yakuza system, they say, is worth up to $80 billion U.S. Wow. Yeah, and the Yama and the, and the top group, the, um, the Yamaguchi Gumi, they say they have about, they're worth about $6 billion, $6.6 billion USD from their, from their work. So uh, it, it's really interesting. Um, and then uh, um, I was looking at kind of if the Yakuza are primarily in Japan or, or if they have global reach. So in the States, can you, um, they do have a presence in a lot of different uh, states, but two in particular. Do you want to guess which two? Yeah, I'll try. Uh, okay. Hawaii. Hawaii. Correct. And well, another mm -hmm. West Coast one. Correct. California. California. Two, two for two, Dave. Hundred percent. Good for you. So um, uh, uh, in, in Hawaii, they, there's a lot of uh, um, drug trade as well as buying firearms that were built in America and shipping them to Japan. And the reason they're in Hawaii is because um, there's a strong Japanese population, so they blend in, right? And they have good links there. And mm. I guess geographically, it's also sort of close both to Japan and to mainland America. And then in California, they have a good positioning, not only because there's a strong um, um, Japanese community there, but they also work with other uh, um, mafia groups, such as the Chinese triads or the Korean uh, mafias. So they actually outsource some of their work to some of the other mafia <laughs> groups. So, wow. uh, so I guess there's like collaboration there, you know? So uh, it's interesting. And then uh, in Southeast Asia, they have a strong presence because it's close to Japan. Uh, whether it's drugs or arms trade, they actually have, uh, have, uh, have presence in, in a number of countries. And they've even been arrested and imprisoned in, 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 uh, in multiple countries. I read one, uh, I read about a drug uh, trade that went bad in the Philippines and, uh, and a Yakuza boss was stuck in jail there. I forget for how long, but uh, hmm. yeah, it's interesting. So um, the Japanese media says that at the, at the height of, of the Yakuza uh, um, in the 1960s, it, it's kind of gone down now, uh, there was over 200,000 Yakuza around the world. Um, but this number has drastically dropped. Uh, um, there are other opportunities for young people now, so they don't really go towards uh, this organization. Uh, and also the Japanese government has, has started to discourage the growth of Yakuza membership. So um, the number that I got was at the moment, as of 2019, it's about 28,200 active uh, members in the, in the Yakuza uh, group. But uh, um, still, one of the largest uh, international organized crime syndicates in the world. So uh, yeah, still pretty sizable. Um, sizable, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, uh, here's here's some interesting. I have a couple interesting interesting facts which I'll get to. But this is the last thing I want to say before that is so um, I was wondering how because in the movies that I watch, there's like a romanticism with the mafia. You know what I mean? If you watch The Godfather, yeah. like you don't really feel bad for other people, you know, because they seem to be doing good things. So I was wondering what the Japanese uh, um, population perceived the yakuza as. So apparently uh, in, uh, in the 90s, there was a big earthquake in Japan, as well as, do you remember the 2011 tsunami in Japan? For sure. The Japanese government were, was very slow to respond to both calamities, and the Yakuza actually responded faster to it by delivering food, water, blankets, and toiletries to a number of, uh, of uh, emergency, center, emergency centers in Northeast Japan. Uh, before the government did. So this really put them in, in good light, you know, um, in, the, in the face of the public. Um, um, uh, the, the Yakuza sort of have um, an image that they help the weak uh, and they steal from the rich, a sort of Robin Hood mentality. So uh, in, in some people's eyes, they're seen more favorably, favor, favorably than, uh, than others. Um, interestingly, the Yakuza in itself it's, it's, are not illegal in Japan. Uh, really? Yeah, it's interesting. They even have uh, clearly labeled offices, uh, business cards. Um, 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 uh, you can publicly say that you're part of the Yakuza. It's not illegal to be part of that organization. 
And so um, the reason the Japanese government does this is because if they made them illegal outright, it would drive them to the underground market, right? Where they couldn't be able, they wouldn't be able to control um, their activities to the level they are now. It'll all, it would also dist uh, disturb national dominance and incite more violence from other neighboring mafias. So, uh, the, you know, in Japan, the Russian Brava uh, exist as well as the Chinese triads. Uh, um, so having the, the, uh, the, the Japanese Yakuza be legal kind of puts the other mafias in check in society. I don't know if that oh, makes interesting. sense. Interesting. Yeah. It's a very unusual, uh, unorthodox approach, but it, yeah. uh, I guess it, it has its logic. It is, yeah. It's, it's really interesting. It's very counterintuitive uh, to what's happening in other parts of the world. For example, I know in the States, you know, being uh, in the mafia is clearly illegal, such as their activities, but the Japanese have taken a different approach. And uh, I think um, the, 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 the mafia, the Japanese accuser, they, they, they're not in cahoots with the government though there are certain politicians that they buy off and they use them as lobby lobbyists, you know, for their own mm -hmm. needs. But generally, sometimes the government may, I think, uh, um, if they can, if the Yakuza can assist the government in anything that also benefits them, then they do, because it's legal to do so, right? It's not illegal to exist. And then at the same time, the Japanese government sees the Yakuza as, as, as putting a check to other violence and gangs. So I guess they're outsourcing violence then, you know what I mean? As opposed to uh, maybe their police force cannot manage it or their military can't manage it to the level they need. And the accused are so strong, so it's better to have them sort of be a technical ally as opposed to, uh, as, as, to as opposed to being uh, an enemy. Right, I see. So uh, it's interesting, right? Like it's a, it's a, it's a very interesting concept. Um, uh, so yeah, okay, let me, let me, uh, discuss some of the really interesting facts I found uh, of it. Some uh, consider the Yakuza to be the true heirs of the samurai. Um, and the reason they justify this is that uh, they say that both groups are organized into strong hierarchical systems based on honor and subservience. Uh, both see violence as a way to get things done. And both have a strong sense of tradition and pride. Um, hmm. um, so I remember this from my time in Japan and then also growing up. That, uh, that respect and honor are a really big part of Japanese culture and Japanese tradition. And so um, um, uh, the Yakuza um, implement that in their day-to-day -day work, even though some of the work that they do is clearly uh, violent or uh, illegal, they still try to have honor in the way that they operate and the samurai sort of did the same. The Yakuza's code of honor, which is called Ninkyo, uh, it, it reportedly values justice and duty above anything else. Uh, um, and it forbids allowing others to suffer. But this last part, I was sort of kind of uh, having questions on because like when you do drug trafficking, when you do sex trafficking, when you sell arms, clearly there is somebody suffering in the process of it. So I wonder if it's like the average everyday person that they're talking about or they're talking about their own membership. But uh, <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, that's an unusual um, yeah, element of their codes. Yeah. I, I would say... They're not exactly the most uh, yeah. best yeah. position to be preachy and moralistic. I guess, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I guess that, like, you know, they, um, have you ever been to Japan? I have not, sadly. I, I would, I'd love, I haven't gone since I you, left. Uh, since you we, haven't been like, back since you left? Yeah, it's been uh, since oh. 1987. I'd love to go uh, take my, my wife and, and, and go. I, um, Japanese culture has been really fascinating to me because they're very, very family-oriented, culturally uh, um, uh, inward focused in the sense that they're very, they, um, they like their own culture and they like to kind of adhere to it. So I'm wondering how much of that kind of translates when you get into an organization. So maybe it'd be interesting to see how they've incorporated those aspects of life, you know? I'm just looking up uh, the Wikipedia page, of course, on yeah. the Yakuza as you were yeah. speaking. And it's it's describing about some of their interesting rituals, which... I, I'm going to um, get to that. Oh, I please. think what they're... What they're Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. I figured it wouldn't be good for me to intervene it's, in the, the no, no, it's save your questions. <laughs> this is this is the highlight of the talk because it's amazing. <laughs> like if you got questions, write them down because I was so fascinated with this. It's I have two more points and then I'll get to it. But uh, I was going to end it off with a firework with a bang. So um, oh, oh, here's some here's some interesting facts. Uh, uh, you know, sumo wrestling is a is a big part of Japanese culture. Whenever there are big sumo wrestling events, uh, usually the audience is uh, uh, rife with Yakuza members. <laughs> really? They like to go to the sumo, sumo uh, matches. Uh, here's another interesting one. In, uh, 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 did you ever play Super Nintendo back in the 90s? 
Of course. So as we know, Nintendo is a Japanese company. Uh, in, the 19, in 1990, when Super Nintendo uh, came out, the Japanese government had to ship them at night uh, because they thought that if they did it during the day, the, the cargo vans would be hijacked by the Yakuza. <laughs> so the Japanese government had to take extra precautions. If you join one of the families, the Yamaguchi Gumi, there is actually a written test that's 12 pages long that you need to pass. Uh, you know, <laughs> it talks about, you know, knowledge of uh, gangster lore and rules. So uh, that's interesting. They have their own uh, uh, magazine that they publish, uh, one of the families. And uh, they talk about issues such as fishing, haiku poetry, and they even encourage the readers to do good as well. So uh, that's nice. Yeah, I'd love to I'd love to see uh, a magazine, even if I didn't know how to read it. I'd like to kind of see how it how it goes. So here's the highlight. Here's the thing. Here's the unusual uh, uh, cultural practices. OK, uh, so in the Yakuza culture, uh, punishment uh, is usually given out in the Yakuza through some form of violence. Uh, mm -hmm. um, and this the most common of which is known as Yubizume. And uh, if you fail to complete a task or you've done something to dishonor the family, you uh, engage in yubizume, which is the amputation of a part of your little finger. So uh, what happens is the offender will, without any assistance from anyone else, will go in front of the boss and everyone will, uh, the rest of the family or members of the family will be there witnessing. They'll use a sharp knife and they will cut off the finger, uh, that tip, without using any sedatives. They'll take the tip of the finger, wrap it in a cloth, and present it to the boss or to their superior as a sign of an apology. If you commit uh, uh, other offenses, it might result in the amputation of other fingers or, uh -huh. um, or, or your other little finger. Uh, um, so the reason they do this is, uh, is because in ancient times, uh, uh, if you didn't have that tip of your little finger, it prevented you from holding um, swords properly for fighting. Uh, swords ah. are like katanas, Japanese swords. And this right. is actually really clever. I mean, I'm not promoting it, but the reason, and if you couldn't hold a sword, you'd be handicapped in a fight, right? You wouldn't have full mobility. Mm -hmm. and in turn, this would require your dependence on the Yakuza for protection in future battles. So uh, it's, very smart. Yeah, it's very, very smart. Um, so what a lot of Yakuza do now is like, you'll see pictures on online. Uh, a lot of guys are missing fingers. They actually wear prosthetics so they can kind of uh, match into, they can kind of uh, integrate into society because if people see you without fingers, they know you're part of the Yakuza and, uh, uh, and, the, and the police will clearly know and it'll become an issue. So uh, I don't know if this, still, this practice still continues, but I do know that a lot of people wear prosthetics. Um, um, and if you want to see it uh, in, uh, in, uh, in fiction, um, go on, I'll post the YouTube video on, online. There's a movie called The Outsider with Jared Leto, and uh, he's part of the Yakuza, and he's done something bad, and he actually has to cut off two of his fingers in front of his boss in the same room, oh. in the same go. And, it's, uh, and uh, I can only imagine uh, if you don't faint or whatnot, and then you have no fingers anymore, you know? So uh, interesting. Yeah, I'm looking at some uh, of the pictures of uh, Yubitsume. It does not look very nice. It's, uh, it's I don't know. Um, and Okay, and then the second practice, which you made mention to, are, um, are the tattoos which are very kind of uh, uh, very much linked to the Yakuza. So the, the, uh, the tattoos in the old traditional way are, are, is called irizume. So um, it's actually interesting, 300 years ago, uh, tattoos were used to identify criminals. So this mm -hmm. practice has sort of kind of continued uh, up until um, the modern day. And so now tattoos are used to recognize members in the Yakuza. And, um, it's also used to demonstrate commitment and boast about the wealth uh, that, that, that that specific member may have. Um, so um, in the old way of doing it, so which some people do still, it's an extremely painful process. Uh, this is the process of erizume, in which the tattoos are hand poked. They go under the skin with a, and they go, um, uh, um, it's not using a machine, it's very traditional minded and it's really painful. But if you can, uh, if you can endure the pain, it sends a message of your commitment to the lifestyle and permanent rejection of mainstream society. And yeah, no so, thanks. Yeah, um, you guys should definitely, um, if you go online, check out some of the tattoos because um, 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 I don't have any tattoos. I don't know, Dave, if you have any tattoos or not. Nope. Uh, I'm not really interested in it, but I'm always fascinated at the, the intricacy 
of tattoo doing on people and the Japanese ones are very detailed, like very, very intricate. Like from an artistic point of view, it's really fascinating that someone was able to do it on a body. And so a lot of the design- And they're full body. Full body. And you see a lot of old guys with tattoos too, if you go on Google as well, like old uh, uh, Yakuza members. Um, uh, and so a lot of the tattoos are, are, are based on Japanese mythology. So there's a lot of dragons and samurais and koi fish because they represent wealth honor prosperity so uh, uh it's really interesting and then um, um this is kind of a, a disturbing part once um sometimes it doesn't happen often but um sometimes the tattoo skins are peeled off of dead corpses and sold on the black oh. market and they're displayed in art galleries because of how intricate the art is so oh, come uh, on it's uh it's a really interesting uh, uh lifestyle uh for it and uh, yeah, so this is, this is the Yakuza, and I'll end with one last fact, and then uh, if you have any questions, uh, or I have some questions for you too, we can kind of go between each other. Sure. Uh, um, so the name Yakuza actually originates from a traditional Japanese card game called Ochukabu. And so the game, uh, the, the objective of the game is to draw three cards. In an optimal situation, you want three cards to add up to a score of nine. So if the sum of the cards exceeds 10, uh, um, you use the second digit, uh, as the score instead and if the sum is exactly 10 the score is one so uh, i'll link it online don't worry but if the three cards drawn are an eight a nine and a three which uh is converted into the word yakuza the sum is 20 and therefore the score is zero making it the worst possible hand that can be drawn and because huh. of that the yakuza have taken on their name interesting it's very fascinating huh i uh, um uh, yeah. What do you think? Like uh, general thoughts? What's, uh... I mean, I, I'm uh, like you in many ways. I, I find these kind of global international gangs, crime syndicates fascinating. Uh, I wouldn't want to be near them uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but I just like being a, an observer from afar. Yeah. And it's just interesting to me how there's a lot of parallels uh, between, you know, the Japanese Yakuza, the Italian mafia, the Russian mafia, the Hell's Angels. I mean, between the rituals, the tattoos, the way it's structured, the obviously the types of crimes they get up to, the codes they have. Um, but it made me think, like, who would win? Who would win, like, the if you had some sort of, like, epic battle or <laughs> had them all in one territory? Yeah. Who would be more powerful? Like, the Italian mafia is the one everyone, everyone knows. It's the... Well, I think the reason because is that is that um, uh, in Hollywood, uh, because there's more of a presence of uh, uh, the Italian-American uh, sure. diaspora, I think they've been represented, I mean, quote unquote, more in, in Hollywood uh, literature and Hollywood uh, um, art. So uh, I think they come off as a lot. I mean, like the, my favorite movie is The Godfather um, um, and I watch it at least once a year. And uh, <laughs> it's just, it's one of those things my dad and I used to do together and uh, I love the movie and I think anything in life can be connected to The Godfather. Uh, in no way, again, do I support uh, the violence, but there's a lot of aspects to their lifestyle that, uh, that I find very noble and respectful. Uh, but there's many things that, that I don't as well. But um, uh, you, um, I spoke to you a few months back about a series on Netflix called Hajigiri. Um, and people, our listeners, if you want to see a really interesting um, uh, series on, on the mafia, on the Japanese Yakuza, it's about the Japanese Yakuza in London, like a, uh, between the two worlds. And Giri so, Haji. Uh, Kiri, there you go. There you go. Giri Haji. Check it out. It's, uh, it's really interesting. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I, I wouldn't want to be a part of it in any way, shape or form. But uh, um, something about it is very, very... Uh, luring you know like from an academic point of view and uh i think you know what i think it is that i've heard other people talk about it i think the mafia they get things done that other forms or other entities don't you know so like just like in that example where after the earthquake in japan or the tsunami the government was very slow to respond and because of bureaucracy and money and uh, and, and and politics uh, the Yakuza were sort of like, we need to help people and we have the capability mm -hmm. to do it. Let's just do it. And I think that really comes off in, in, in good light in the public's perception. Yeah, I mean, you know, Pablo Escobar was well known for funding the local soccer team and uh, yeah. ha having a, a zoo or all sorts of uh, charitable endeavors while he was 
you know, blowing up planes and doing all sorts of stuff. So the charitable aspect is definitely a, a key component. You have to have CSR, corporate social responsibility, if you're uh, running any kind of um, competent uh, crime group. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's like, I guess, the, you know, it's it's giving to the masses and not only for charity, but also I'm sure there's a selfish reason too, right? You want mm. the, the community on your side as well. And I think I've even like, even in the States, uh, um, uh, like even in Godfather 1 and 2, the community, you know, Godfather 3 is debatable, people. We can debate that on another day. <laughs> but but uh, <laughs> but even the community had, a, had, had the Godfather and his family in very high view, right? Because of, 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 they, took care, they, they, they took care of their own. They took care of people that other people didn't want to, right? They even took people, even uh, one of the Don Carleone's sons is adopted, right? Um, Robert mm-hmm. Duvall, the... the um, uh, so he he took him in and he raised him. And I think it's it's strange, right? In life, whenever you see bad people do good things and you sort of kind of, it, it plays with your mind a little, right? Like if you've already kind of, you know, you know, they do this bad thing and then, and then you think of that, like, and that's what, that's what they are. But then suddenly they do one good thing and then your mind starts kind of shifting on it. You know, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's really strange to put them in a category. Well, the thing is that, like you mentioned how the Yakuza take in, um, you know, orphans. they adopt yeah. their orphan children, they adopt um, so it's in a way an, a noble act, but it's also corrupting them uh, beyond all measure. So uh, it's in a way these different crime groups, you know, the Italian mafia originates from Sicily, right? One of the most right. impover- impoverished parts of Italy. Um, yeah. So it, it, they kind of arise in an area where there's not much government presence or they step in where there's a vacuum, you know, in instances where... Japanese government was slow to respond to um, like a national crisis like the the tsunami or yeah. the earthquake. The Yakuza made sure they were there right on the spot to right uh, show that they could handle things the government uh, couldn't. Yeah. Um, so in a way, it, it, they can be a reflection on the, the governance of that society. Um, and it, it kind of made me think, because, you know, all these crime groups, they generally get up to the same things, uh, drug sales, prostitution, racketeering. Yeah. Um, and, y- and you know, we're both from Canada. Yeah. One of the big things that's happened in the last few years in Canada is um, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau made um, marijuana legal. Yes. Right? Yeah. And one of the big arguments uh, doing that is to you know, diminish the crime aspect. Yeah. So you can go, you can go to a store. It's like a Starbucks. It's all clean. You yeah. spend some money, you know, who you're buying from, you know, the product. Yeah. And there's not necessarily, I hope a risk of any kind of uh, danger to you. Yeah. But um, these crime groups are also showing up in places where those kind of rules are suppressed. You know, the U S has had a war on drugs for forever. Right. And, um, you know, the Mexican cartels are as strong as they've ever been. So my kind of thinking is, should the governments try to be super liberal and follow this Canadian government or Dutch government thing, you know, make prostitution legal, right. make um, certain drugs legal, and then that thereby reducing the violent nature of, of, of uh, these organized crime groups and, and their presence in these societies. Yeah. Like, what, what's your take on that? I, uh, I think there's always going to be uh, um, uh, a disparity between the government and these organized groups. Cause they're just in, uh, there are commonalities between them, of course, but I think uh, for the most part, they're in opposing views. I've always seen the mafia or gangs or, 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 um, uh, mobsters in, in the sense that they just get things done that the government can't right mm. and at the end of the day they're an entity uh, that that is a business right like they're making money through multiple streams and so I mean in the situation of Canada I'm sure that they were in the drug business before uh, uh, before marijuana was legalized and now that it's legalized maybe they've shifted to other drugs right so mm-hmm. uh, or maybe they've kind of refocused their business model quote unquote <laughs> So like, uh, I think they'll adapt and they'll, and, and they'll keep going, but I mean, yeah, it's a tough call. Like I'm not promoting any, uh, like any other, any form of it, uh, uh, whatsoever, just from a neutral point of view. 
like uh, I think in Canada, like the the legalization of marijuana had many factors in it, right? Uh, For sure. So, so yeah, I'm not sure uh, exactly for it. I mean, if I was a politician and uh, it was me against, like, you know, if I if I knew that a decision I was going to make could incite potential problems from the mafia, like, how would I interact? Like, I'm not sure, you know. Like, I, it's definitely a concern. For example, in Canada, I think uh, most of the mob, uh, the Italian mob, is based out of Montreal from what I, mm-hmm. what, I, what I know. So, you know, they have a strong suit there and they operate regardless of what happens. And uh, I'm sure they have more loyalty and more sway in their communities than any MP could, right? Because they're on that local ground level. And uh, it's the same with the Yakuza. The way the hierarchy is built is that the top guy, he's, he's there, but his generals and his, like, his lieutenants and his colonels, they're in the communities and they're helping the people as well, right? So, uh, uh, so you know, I think in the light of everyday people, they might be seen in a better, in a better, uh, um, in a better. Yeah. Because people have a dim view of politicians in most countries. So in some ways people would, would, uh, ironically side with the gangsters and, um, since they have such a, you know, benevolent, um, way of dealing with their local communities. Um, yeah, then, then yeah, absolutely. Let me let me ask you a, a, a question. So I've had this discussion with my wife multiple times because I love gangster movies. And I always <laughs> tell her like, I wish I was a gangster and just as a joke. And like when I watch the movies and stuff, but like there are some things that gangsters do that I that don't bother me. And there's some things that gangsters do that do bother me. And, and let me just let me let me let me add some context to this. Even in Godfather one, uh, if you remember the movie or not, uh, um, they, this is in the uh, the fifties, the sixties. It's set in um, um, mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, a new mobster came to Don Carleone, the Godfather, and uh, he wanted to bring drugs into New York, and he wanted the Godfather to know if that he would, if they would partner together and he could distribute their drugs. So already his family was in the alcohol business, in the racketeering business, in uh, in uh, the coercion business, in in bribery as well. But in the end, he decided he did not want to get into drugs because of the negative effects it has on people, right? So this kind of goes back, like it makes him feel, (laughs) he's a very honorable, moral person, I guess, in this sense. (laughs) So, and it's because of that decision that he gets shot and ultimately, uh, ultimately hospitalized for it. In your view, do you feel like, you don't have to go into specifics, but do you feel that you can categorize some of the activities as like acceptable and others as non-acceptable of the mafia? Uh, necessary evils, if it makes it easier to answer. Yeah, I I just think a, a bit like what I was saying earlier. They're they're fulfilling uh, on the good side areas where where the government is is missing or lacking. So they're providing, you know, a service to their local community, which, um, you know, whatever government may not have done otherwise. So. In that respect, it's good, and they they earn. But the way they earn their money to fund those kind of things is obviously bad. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I just think it's a it's a reflection and a failing of of the government and a society in some in some way. So, I think there's definitely the good they they can do can be incorporated into, you know, a community group, a volunteer group, a uh, a competent local member of parliament's uh, constituency association, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, any one of those good activities that, that a Yakuza or mafia gets involved with, yeah. you could, you could cut those out and then, you know, tackle all the nasty stuff. Um, well, an interesting point you made there is that um, there's another great show on Netflix called Peaky Blinders, right? It's about, oh yeah, great yeah, show, a great, fantastic show. Uh, you guys check it out. It's amazing. It's about, uh, uh, um, it's about uh, the mob, the mafia, the English mafia in Birmingham. And actually, as the seasons go through, um, they follow in the same path that most mafia people do and that they get wealthy, but they also take care of their community and their head, their leader actually becomes an MP, right? Uh, as you've suggested. And, uh, but what he does is that he still continues to help his constituents, but he uses his position to benefit himself as well. You know, giving bribes, taking bribes, um, uh, um, really uh, kind of guaranteeing his position. And then he keeps getting elected over and over again. So I wonder if in reality, if uh, the mafia did enter politics legally, if they would use that position to continue in their illegal works. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, that'd be a really 
troubling um, step if they start getting to the stage of entering various elected bodies of governing, um, you know, levels of government. Um, that would just sort of mean your your country's on the rocky road, uh, the slippery slope of uh, being taken over by, by a by the a criminal group or the mafia. Yeah. So um, so even if you had a, like a, a token one MP. Yeah. Uh, like the Mr. Peaky Blinder. Yeah. Uh, that that's more than uh, one too many. You know. Yeah. To um, to any mafia members listening, I am pro mafia. Dave is anti mafia. So <laughs> him, you need to get on me. <laughs> there goes your future political career. <laughs> so it's, it's 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 really a fascinating issue. I mean, uh, like I said, if you watch The Godfather one or two or Casino or Goodfellas or uh, recently um, Scorsese's uh, movie The Irishman. It's, uh, there's something about, about it that's very, very alluring. I can definitely get it. And something about it that makes you just kind of uh, um, sympathize with them, right? Uh, I don't know what it is. It's, it's, it's fascinating. But of course, at the end of the day, you know, uh, the actions that they take are not, are not uh, justified, are, not, uh, are never justified. But the stories and, the, and, and uh, their way of operation, including the Yakuza, interesting, right? Very, very interesting. Yeah, but I guess the, the, the hard thing is, is like these people, they just kind of grow up. Uh, some people are born into these families and that's all they know. That's true. And yeah. it's really hard for them to get out of it once they're in it. And I'm, it's interesting that the Japanese angle of the Yakuza, because I don't know as much about that as I do about the Italian mafia and more Western crime groups. Yeah. And um, yeah. It's like you said, they have uh, storefronts and shops and memberships from what you say. Yeah. So can you just walk into a Yakuza sh shop and say, hey, I'd like to get one of your one-year memberships, uh, two years for you know, half price sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I said, it's not illegal, uh, the Yakuza. It's not illegal uh, to be part of the Yakuza. The Yakuza in itself is not illegal. And people on their business cards are, they, I mean, it doesn't say Yakuza, but like you, clearly they know it's Yakuza and they have office buildings. So you could clearly walk into a Yakuza store for sure. But I mean, if I ever went into like a Yakuza uh, department store, I would just buy what I had to buy and then get out. You know, I wouldn't engage in anything because I had that sense. There'd be something on my shoulders the whole time, like looking over my shoulder, that sense mm. of kind of anxiousness. But, I, but if, I'm, if my interpretation of things are correct is that if you don't interact with them and cause any problems, they won't interact with you or cause any problems, right? Like that's mm. generally what I have. But, uh, but where that goes out the window is trafficking. Uh, some of the stuff I read around human and sex trafficking is really, really disturbing. And, uh, and uh, that's where uh, the, the idea of, uh, of uh, not, you know, making, of making sure the public is safe and they don't get involved, so that's sort of where it goes out the window, right? Because like these people didn't really do anything wrong, but they're being used for horrendous acts. So I mean, sure. I'm going to keep looking into it and researching and seeing how it, how it, how it operates. But there is one area of, uh, of I guess, hypocrisy that I see. So, uh, uh, yeah. Um, okay, before we end, I will tell you my family's story relating to the Yakuza. And, uh, oh, really? It's, Your family uh, story relating to the Yakuza? Yeah. So as you know, my mother and father uh, lived in Japan for seven years. So uh, they speak Japanese fluently. They, uh, they know Japanese culture. Um, um, when I was two, they moved to Vancouver, Canada, which is my hometown. And uh, for, uh, for a while, when my dad got there, because he knew Japanese and he knew had a really good relationship with the Japanese community, he acted as a tour guide for, a lot, for Japanese tourists, for a Japanese company. And he used to show people around Alberta and BC. So one day, a man came on the tour uh, with them. And uh, my dad saw him and it was very, very familiar looking, but he didn't know who he was, but he built a friendship with my dad. Uh, this note on Japanese people is they get really, really excited if, uh, if non-Japanese people speak Japanese and know their culture. They, get, hmm. they find it very appreciative. So uh, anytime we go to a Japanese restaurant, I always get my mom to speak Japanese and they love it. Like everyone, everyone loves it. And we get awesome. free, free California rolls and stuff like that, you know? <laughs> so, uh, so my dad, so this guy came on a tour with his family and my dad made really good friends with him. And uh, 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 he really liked my dad and really was an older gentleman. And then he told my dad eventually that like he wanted to invest in and buy a house in, 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 uh, in, in Vancouver and just kind of keep it as uh, an investment. 
and uh, if my dad could help him with that because my dad was from the city and he knew he knew the property this was like early 90s man so uh so my dad they bought a house and uh it was uh, empty for a long time and so my dad asked the guy if we could live in the house and pay him rent and my and this and this man was generous of it of course no problem you don't have to pay rent but of course my parents did at least someone would be like a tear take a, a caretaker of the home in addition mm-hmm. to us having a home over a roof over our heads so we do it we do it and eventually my dad finds out who the gentleman is and because uh, he he always appears in the newspapers in japan uh, he's a high-ranking member of the yakuza oh, wow. uh, 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 yeah uh, but we wouldn't have known it otherwise. I was, uh, there's pictures of me and him. I was a baby. So like, you know, uh, he, uh, him and his wife adored me a lot. I was told I have no memory of this, but, uh, but, uh, my dad was really good. And so from time to time, he would come to Vancouver, check on the house, you know, talk with my dad. But for the most part, we would just sign checks and pay rent into an account or whatever it was. Uh, one day, uh, though the, the, the guy dies, uh, he's in his old age, but, um, I, um, he is assassinated in Japan. So, uh, um, really? yeah. And so we get the, we get the, my dad gets the news here. And, uh, apparently what had happened was the guy or months earlier, uh, um, the guy had found out that he had cancer, right. And he was, it was, it was very uh, stage four, very serious. And, uh, um, he didn't want to go out that way. So this is where, uh, this is very Yakuza of the story. He paid uh, a hitman, uh, uh, to kill him, uh, uh, take him out of his misery at any given time without let, letting him know when it would be. It would be like a random act, right? So, <laughs> no way. So uh, uh, he didn't want to. <laughs> he didn't want to suffer. He didn't want to die slowly. So he paid a, a guy to come in. And so one day, when he was at a cafe having his morning coffee, uh, a guy came in, pulled out a gun, shot him in the head, killed him. And afterwards, uh, it's revealed, you know, his uh, publicly that you know his his links to the yakuza. He was a very high-standing yakuza member too. So stuff like that. And then uh, my dad, eventually, you know, his wife reached out to my dad to let him know our condolences. He was a really nice man to us. You know, we had no issue. And, uh, and so uh, by that time, my parents were a little bit more established in Vancouver. It had been a while. So they, they, uh, they actually offered uh, the wife uh, the ability, uh, the opportunity for us to buy the house from them, right? Because we had all been already living there and we, my dad had enough uh, money. And the wife accepted and we bought the house. This is where things get interesting is uh, later on, as life went on, um, um, my mom would say that she'd see big tour buses driving by our house, like all the time. <laughs> oh, no. it, it was really strange because you've been to my house. I, I live kind of in, in like, uh, um, I don't really live on a public road or in downtown or anything. I kind of live in a little, little community and it's like, it's very strange. It's very suburb- suburbanish. But these tour buses would be coming and people would be taking pictures of our house, right? And so, so your, your, your house, house, the, the house I've been to is, is the Yakuza house. So it's not the house that we went to. It was the house we lived, we renovated in, in uh, about 20 years back. It was the older version uh, of the house. So okay. apparently what had happened, my mom uh, one day went down, uh, got the name of one of the tour buses and she was just, she didn't know what was happening because it was years later. Right. It was just strange. So she got the name of, uh, of the tour bus and she went down to the center and she kind of like informally asked like, what's going on? Like, you know, there's people coming by my house and blah, blah, blah. And they mentioned that this is the house of, uh, you know, a high ranking Yakuza member who had a house in Vancouver. <laughs> and so uh, uh, it was in the newspaper. Uh, we have a clipping at home. Uh, it was, uh, this was like mid nineties, you know? And so mm-hmm. it, it went on for a while and, uh, and, and uh, eventually it started dying off. It didn't become as interesting of a tourist attraction. And then, and then we never talked about it. Uh, I was only told that this kind of like, 10 years ago when one day I was looking through our storage like photos and I, this came up and I read the article and I asked my mom and she talked about it and she's like, yeah, yeah, this happened. And so, um, and so here's the kicker is that earlier this year I was watching the, uh, uh, the Netflix show Giri Haji uh, um, mm. um, in it. And I got really interested in it reminded me of the story. So then I, uh, I started just Googling a little bit. I wanted to know what the name of the guy was and stuff. And a gentleman in the States had wrote a book on the Yakuza and he actually mentions this story in his book on page blah, 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 which I have a copy of uh, for it. And so it's been verified. Uh, Some of the information is incorrect in that book. Uh, I even thought about reaching out to the author to let him know, but in the end, I just let it go uh, because it's been such a long time, but it's been verified and it talks about it and there's a whole page on it too. So uh, that's our story of the Yakuza and, uh, and our family. And so uh, uh, I have no memory of it whatsoever. But from what I'm told, we had a very good relationship. We weren't in anyone's bad lights. And, uh, and uh, I was adored very much by, by this Yakuza gentleman. 
and he was very nice to my parents as well. And he really helped them when they first settled in Canada and they kind of started building a life together. What an amazing story, huh, Dave? It's, uh, it's, that is absolutely mind-blowing. And um, I definitely see the reason for telling the story of the Yakuza. It's, uh, wow, it's, it's uh, quite the connection. Anyways, that's, that's my presentation. I hope you, uh, you found it interesting or fascinating. I really find this issue very, very captivating. And I'm going to keep researching it and, and watching films and reading and stuff. And so, uh, yeah, that's, that's the Yakuza in Japan. Well, thanks, Tosh. I, I found it uh, both interesting and fascinating. That uh, wraps it up for this um, edition of Super Respectable. There you go. Super Respectable. Anyways, Dave, I hope you have safe travels. We, uh, we will continue with our podcast as, as usual. And I'll see you next time, mate. Yeah, catch you next time, Tosh. <laughs>